Good morning. Please stand for a reading from God's Word. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You may be seated. Amen. What an um, amazing story, but what an awful scene of what is done to this woman. And yet, let me say, in this awful scene, this woman is able to experience just an incredible moment. Reminds me of something I've been researching lately called the, the Disney Paradox. It's that Disney World's got this thing set up where just a few moments can change your memories. In other words, what they say is about 95% of the time you spend in Disney World, you would actually rather be home on your couch. Anybody experience that? I mean, it's the long lines. It's the humidity. It's just trying to pay exorbitant prices. But they're okay with that. Because of the 5% that creates moments. It's when Minnie Mouse hugged your daughter. It's when you take your son on that incredible roller coaster ride, you know, in uh, the mountain. It's when you go to Main Street USA and you see the parade and you see the castle behind it. It's those moments that you remember, they say, in the Disney paradox six months later. You forgot about the heat and the humidity and the lines. You forgot about the 95%, and you remember that wonderful 5%. And in this woman's life, in what I would say had to be the worst day of her life, less than 5% actually made it the best day of her life. Let's go back to that scene. Jesus is, you know, another day in the office. He's outside the temple, he's preaching. He gets interrupted. No, it's not a baby crying. It's a woman naked, thrown before him, probably wrapped in a sheet. What's happened to her? Well, she's brought in charge with adultery. In the law, you had to have two witnesses. So somehow this thing's been set up where these two guys are peeping toms, and they watch what's going on, and they catch her. Now, They may have waited all night to to really catch her. And and the question's got to be, what happened to this man? You see, understand this. They they don't, not worried about the man. It's it's my opinion. I think the man probably was a part of the scheme. You go hook up with her. You make this happen. We're going to have a chance to catch her. But it's not even about her. They don't care about her. She's just 
debate. What they're trying to do is set a trap for Jesus. And what a trap they've set. They throw her down in front of him, interrupt his teachings, ask this question. The law says, Moses says in the law, that we are commanded to stone this woman. What do you say? Man, they've got Jesus. Uh, They couldn't get him when they asked him what to do with the Roman coin. They couldn't get him when they tried to ask about this man who'd had all these wives die and who would he be married to in heaven. Jesus has always knocked it out of the park. But finally it appears they have him trapped. Because if he says, stone her, then no longer is he the friend of sinners and all these people in coming to him. If he says, don't stone her, He appears to be against the law of Moses. And so they keep repeating, what do you say, Jesus? What's your position on this? Tell us about it. And Jesus just gets on his knees, and he starts writing in the sand. What a a picture. We don't really know what he wrote. A lot of conjecture about that. Maybe that Jesus is just so thrown off by this, he needs some time to think about it. It might be that he's so embarrassed for this woman that he's trying to take the focus off her and get their attention down here. Maybe he's hoping they repeat the charge enough that they back away. Some commentators say he's, he's writing a scripture. My favorite comes from William Barclay, who says the word here, to write, means to write a charge that Jesus is actually writing their sins down. Susie back here, she uh, cheated on her taxes. Mary, she's been gossiping. Sam, oh my goodness, he's been watching pornography. John, and he just keeps writing their sins. And then, and to me, one of the most dramatic moments in Scripture, Jesus stands, and Jesus utters a brilliant line. Okay, guys, if you don't have any sin, just go ahead and stone her. And all of a sudden, we hear these rocks begin to to thud, and Scripture says, the Otis left First, I remember asking a teenager, teenage kid in Northport years ago, why do you think the oldest guys left first? And he goes, because they had more sins. They're wiser anyway, and they begin to leave, and Jesus begins to write on the sand again, and then the younger guys go. Man, it's quite a scene here. And then you've got this amazing moment. You've got Jesus, the Son of God, and this adulterous woman. You've got Jesus, the perfect man, and this woman who's far from perfect. Jesus, who is God himself and the judge, and this woman who is absolutely guilty. And the question right here is, what will God do? And Jesus just asked her a question. Woman, and that word woman, there's a warm, warm word, same word he uses for his mom. Woman, where are your accusers? Now, I picture this. She's been humped over. She's been covered with this sheet. She's not looked for a moment because she expects the rocks to fall on her at any time. And finally, Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she peeps out from the, the sheet and she looks around and there's nobody left. She can't believe it. And then 
She says to Jesus, I don't see anybody accusing me. And then we get to this moment where the one who could have accused her, the one who could have condemned her, the one who had every right to stone her, says, neither do I condemn you. Just go leave your life of sin. What an amazing moment. And those moments were life-changing for her. And my guess this morning is if we could hear those same words, it could be life-changing for us. Because the Pharisees, again, are trying to, to pit Jesus. They're trying to pit the law of Jesus, the law of God against the love of God. You see, Jesus is suspect. Uh, the, the Pharisees, who are the uptight religious people of their day, they've decided that Jesus is liberal. Well, why is Jesus liberal? Because he's hanging around the wrong folks. Just those sinful people with those outer sins are, are coming to him, and he has got the gall to actually fellowship with them and eat with them. And on top of that, well, you always get suspect when you talk about love, or maybe today when you talk about Jesus too much, Right? And then on top of that, Jesus is breaking the traditions. You see, the Pharisees didn't just believe in the law of God. They had put all these fences around the law to keep you from even getting close. And the problem was they made the fence as important as the law. And Jesus comes and says, I really don't care about your fences. That didn't come from God. And I, I, I don't mind breaking those. And he did. So they believe he's suspect. And so they're saying, Jesus, what you're doing is against the very law of God. And Jesus says, I'm not pitting love versus law. I am uniting grace and truth. For Jesus, it was not either or, it was both and. Just like when we met Jesus a couple weeks ago in John chapter 1, Scripture says there that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, was full, overflowing, with grace and truth. He believed you could have a bunch of both and be okay. For the legalists today, still worry about people who talk too much about love. For the legalists today who still believe they're like the Pharisees, they've got everything down pat. And if you don't understand everything the way they understand it and behave every way they understand, well, then we're going to begin to throw judgmental rocks at you. But let me say this, we're the Pharisees, we're those legalists, and we still struggle with that today. I'd have to be more honest to say that today we're more uncomfortable with truth than we are with love. In fact, in our culture, we've redefined love in a way that's just not true to Scripture, is that love means I never tell you you've done the wrong thing. In fact, in our culture, we've gotten to this awful point where we're not even sure if there is truth, is there's absolute truth. And so how can I get on to you because I've got my own personal truth and you've got your own personal truth and we're not going to recognize the standard of God's Word. Today, if you take a strong stand about moral issues, especially about sexual issues, you'll be labeled as unloving at best, and at worst, you'll be called a bigot. Because our culture has decided that when someone's sinning, not only must I be kind to them and tolerate what's going on, but I must embrace it. And Jesus says, you don't have to make that truth. 
You can be full that, that choice. You can be full of grace and truth. You can believe in love and the law. Now, let's be honest here as we're talking as a church. Churches tend to gravitate one way or the other. There are some churches that seem to be all truth. There are other churches that seem to be all grace. All truth churches are very judgmental because they actually believe they've got it together. In the all grace church, often everything goes. In the all truth church, you better clean up before you come. In the all grace church, you never have to clean up. In the all truth church, it gives sinners no hope of change. And in the all grace church, it gives sinners no need for change. What the world needs today and what we must be is a church that's bold about the love and grace of God. That anybody, no matter what their background, no matter what their sin, can come into this body. They don't have to clean up before they come in here. We'll help them clean up and the Holy Spirit will help them clean up. And we're going to love them. And you walk in here and your sin's different than mine, we're not going to be with judgmental stones. We're going to lend you a helping hand. We need a church that's bold for grace and compassion and love. But on the same hand, we need a church that's bold in truth. That says, you know what? We know you're not there yet. Neither are we there yet. But this is the standard that we're going by. And we're going to spend the rest of our life trying to obey Jesus. Not out of some kind of legalistic, let me save myself, but because I am blown away by the love of Christ. So how does Jesus do this? How is he able to bring together in this crazy story grace and truth? Now listen to me, guys. The the Pharisees' actions were despicable. Their motives were impure. But they were technically right. This woman deserved to be stoned. How does Jesus put these things together? Let me give you five points, and I want you to think about these as we get ready to take communion together. Number one, Jesus displayed the heart of God. John 1 says that Jesus showed what God is like. The one who had every right to condemn offers forgiveness. You see, many of us grew up with a a picture of a God who is trying to send us to hell on a technicality. You didn't understand this little thing about Scripture that a few of us understood, you know, that's not even talked about in the Bible? Well, if, if you don't get that, man, well, then, then you've lost it, or, or, or all your behaviors are not perfect, well, then, then, then you're out of it. And so we believed there was a God that was coming to catch us in that technicality, and as soon as we made one mistake, we're gone. And Jesus says, John 3, 16, you know this one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But do you know what verse 17 says? For the son of God did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. The problem with the Pharisees is that they got a thrill out of condemning and judging. The wonderful thing about Jesus is his thrill came from saving And when Jesus walks this earth, we get this complete picture of God. Number two, Jesus explained the intent of the law. You see, the the Pharisees thought was this law was this standard for them to be snotty about, that they were better than everybody else, and for them to be the only ones. And Jesus believed the law was put there to help people. 
One of the most famous lines that Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's that about Jesus? Well, part of those traditions that Jesus was breaking left and right were Sabbath traditions. You see, the Pharisees were so serious about keeping the Sabbath day holy, which is good, that they made all these rules and regulations and fences around it. And Jesus says, you've made the Sabbath day into something God didn't intend. I mean, you're walking around on tiptoe, scared to death that you're going to do something wrong. I didn't give you the Sabbath day to hurt you. I didn't give you the Sabbath day to judge you. I gave you the Sabbath day to bless you. What ought to have been the most relaxed day of your week where you got to rest and spend time with God has now come to this uptight thing. And Jesus says, you got it wrong. God never gives you a law to hurt you. God never gives you a law to trap you. God only gives his commands to help you. And then on top of that, number three, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus came and said, here's what it was all about. He gave full meaning. And not only did he give full meaning, he's the first man to walk the earth who fulfills the law. He breaks no commands. And his perfection exposed us. Number four, Jesus exposed everyone as sinners. That's what Romans 3.23 says. All have sinned. I don't know a lot about a lot of you. Some of you may be here for the first time, and I'm thankful you're here. But one thing I do know, and one thing you can know about me, is that I'm a sinner and that you're a sinner. It's really weird how we get uncomfortable with that when that's true. And in our story today, we don't have one sinner, this adulterous woman. We, we literally have two types of sinners. We have this woman with this outer, obvious sin issue. And we have these religious dudes with an inner, less obvious sin issue. Where she may be an adulteress, they have turned into religious hypocrites and judges. Well, they are so good at seeing her fault and his fault and their fault and are blinded to their own faults. You see, sometimes even today, we're a little bit nervous about admitting we're sinners. When I was youth minister of this church years ago, we always, even like today, had an incredible vacation Bible school. And uh, me and the teenagers were in charge of it. And so one year, I'd ask one of the kids to come up with a brochure we'd give out in the community. So he comes up with this really cute brochure. It was when the movie E.T. was really big. Anybody ever watch the movie E.T.? It's a classic, it? okay? Raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Okay. And, and the outside of the brochure just simply said, E.T. Go VBS. Isn't that cute? Act like it's cute. It's cute, okay? And, and then when you open the brochure, it had a picture of Superman flying to VBS. Wow. I'll never forget, though, the Sunday we gave out thousands of those, and I'm walking back down the aisle, and this tall guy with his bony finger meets me in the aisle, and he said, did you approve of this brochure? I said, yes, sir. (laughs) Did you look at it closely? I said, yeah. I said, I'm sorry, man, the the print job's not that good, is it? He said, I'm not talking about the print job. It's E.T. Did you not watch the movie E.T.? Did you not know that E.T. drank a beer on that movie? Oh, excuse me. (laughs) I didn't catch that one. And Superman cussed in his last movie? Man, I was trapped. I wish I'd been as quick as Jesus. I should have said to that man, 
Brother, don't you recognize that Vacation Bible School is for sinners like E.T. and Superman? <laughs> I mean, that would have been perfect, you know? Because we're all sinners, so let's not act like we're not. And Jesus came and exposed that. But then the fifth point is the most important point, is that Jesus paid the price for our sins. I mean, you want to hear the gospel succinctly put in one sentence. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who had no sin, that's Jesus, became sin. That's what's on the cross happened on the cross. So that in him we, that's us, might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus exposed us as sinners, but Jesus also said, okay, guys, instead of all of you guys getting punished with death for your sins because that's the wages of sin, God just put it all on me, and Jesus took it. And that's the reason that Jesus can extend this woman and extend you grace and truth. And he sees no contradiction between them. So I hope you have your communion supplies with you. Um, if you're new here, you see the little cup. Make sure you open the bread portion first. Open the wine part first, or the grape juice, excuse me. The grape juice first <laughs> last week, and I had to go back to Luke where Jesus gets the wrong order. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it was just really awkward. So, so take that, but here, here's what I want you to do. I've got two lines from this story that I want you to focus on. And I, I got to experience this first service. So this, this will be powerful if you'll do this. Focus on simply these two lines. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Just allow your mind to meditate on the fact that despite the fact you are just as guilty as this exposed woman, that Jesus is giving you forgiveness. That's what communion is supposed to remind us of, of how great God is. But in the midst of this, hear the truth. God didn't tell this woman, that's okay what you did. It doesn't matter, you know, just go ahead and keep doing it. I'm okay with it. No, he says, here, here, out of understanding my grace and love, motivated out of your mind to obedience, go now and leave your life of sin. So right now, I want you to just spend some great time in meditation on how good God's been to you, and then respond to that by saying, Lord, I want to say thank you by the way I live my life. Because like I said earlier, everybody in this story read, they were all sinners except Jesus. Let me start by praying this prayer out of Ken Geyer's book, Moments with the Savior, and then we'll take communion together. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess that at times I've stood in the midst condemned, and there are times I've stood in the crowd condemning. There are times my heart has been filled with adultery, and there are times my hands have been filled with stones. Forgive me for a heart that is prone to wonder, so quick to forget my vows to you, Forgive me, too, for my eagerness to bring you the sins of others and my reluctance to bring my own. Forgive me for the times I have stood smugly Pharisaic and measured out judgment to others. Others I am not qualified to judge. Others whom you, though qualified, refuse to judge. 
Help me to be more like you, Jesus, full of grace and truth. Help me not to live by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of compassion you showed to that woman so many mornings ago. Give me, I pray, the wisdom of the older ones in regard to the stumbling of others so that my hands may be the first to drop our stones and my feet the first to leave the circle of the self-righteous. Thank you for the sweet words of forgiveness. Oh, Father, how we need to hear these words, how I need to hear these words. Neither do I condemn you. Words that flow so freely from your lips, words that I've often have heard so often when I've stumbled. And in the strength of those unmerited words, help me to walk away and to sin no more. And Father, it's at the cross that we see grace and truth fully demonstrated. The truth is that sin is repugnant to you and there's a price to it. And Jesus paid that price. The grace is we don't have to pay that price. Help us to reflect on Jesus' words these next few moments. Help us to have a moment with Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. The truth is we find all of ourselves in the exact spot this woman was. Actually, these Pharisees were. They were caught. Maybe you weren't caught and thrown naked in front of a group of people. Maybe your sin's been more secret. But I guarantee you, God has caught you. And today we find out what God offers you. We're about to extend what we call an invitation where you get to respond to the message. There are cards in the front of every pew. There are pens there. And at any point, if you just write that down and bring this down to a basket in just a moment, and we'll pray for you before we leave. But as you make that decision, I want you to know what's on the line. Here's what Jesus is offering you that we've learned from this story. He, first of all, is offering you compassion. That was one of the most shocking things about Jesus as God coming to this earth. Jesus was tempted as always as we are. And therefore, Jesus has compassion. Most people's view of God is that God was so distant and so high and so holy that God could not be affected by our problems or God in some weird way they thought would be controlled by us. But we find out that Jesus, when he sees us caught in sin, he is compassionate. He's not mad at you. He's sad for you. Well, the story I read about this older woman, she was a widow lady and finances were strained and her house was in disrepair. Everything's falling apart, grass is not cut, and a businessman who lives in the neighborhood finds out that she can't pay her, her monthly rent. And so he goes to the neighbors, he takes up plenty of money to, to pay six months of her rent. And so he goes to her door and knocks on the door. It's obviously someone's inside, but nobody comes. He goes back for four days in a row, knocking on the door, TV's on, nobody comes. He goes around to the side door, nobody comes. So finally he gives up. A few days later, the house is all boarded up and obviously she's gone. 
And then he runs into her at a market and says, ma'am, I'm so sorry when we heard about the position you were in. The whole neighborhood wanted to help you and we took up money to pay your rent and I actually knocked on your door four times. Why didn't you answer? She said, I assumed you were there to evict me. And for too many of us, as God's open knocking on your door right now, on your heart, our immediate assumption is he wants to evict us. My friends, he wants to save you. He offers you compassion. He offers you cleansing. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, how awful you've been. There is no sin beyond his grace. And today, you could leave here completely forgiving. But not only does he offer you that compassion and that cleansing, but he also offers you an incredible challenge. Have you thought about the challenge he leaves this woman with? No more sin. He didn't just say, hey, no more adultery. If God were to come here today and say, I tell you what, before you walk out these doors, I'm going to give you a challenge. You will never cuss again. You will never gossip about people behind their back again. You will never lie again. But, but Jesus isn't that specific. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sin no more. What a challenge. Now, here's our problem, guys. That's normally where we start. And that's why we leave church feeling guilty, because we think that's where it starts. The truth is, it's sequential. The first thing he offers you is his heart. The second thing he offers you is forgiveness. And then out of that heart of forgiveness and love and joy, he says, I want you to go get out of that sin. And then here's what blows me away. He actually is offering you today confidence. I mean, think about this for a moment. This woman, this woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery, this woman, Jesus says, I believe you could leave here and stop sinning. That's crazy. But Jesus believed through his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you and I can change. And some of you come here and you've tried and tried and tried and you've fallen and fallen and fallen and you come here and you need to hear these words from Jesus. I believe you can change. I believe you could actually stop that with the help of God's people and the help of the Holy Spirit. So can I ask you this morning, which of these four things do you need? This is what he's offering you. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I love this story. It just really, for us sinners, doesn't get any better than this. And my question today is, would it be helpful for you to write what you need on a card so the whole church can pray for you? If we'll go ahead and bring that basket around, and we'll be ready for that. You just bring that card down, and that's all you got to do is put it in the basket, and we'll pray for you. You see, what I want to believe about this story, okay? Here's the problem with this story. Not really a problem, but here's the question. The question is, what did she do when she left? Did she accept these offers? Did she go back and shack up with the guy again? Or was she so blown away by Jesus that she left and changed her life? That's what I believe. And I believe every day she had a moment where she remembered this small moment where Jesus says, I don't condemn you, 
Go sin no more. She's holding her children. And she remembers the moment she went from death to life. She's holding hands with her husband. She never thought she was going to have a good relationship. She's fellowshipping in church, and she can't believe she's so blessed to have been forgiven. She had these moments where she had that Disney paradox where that small little moment defined her life, not her mistake. And so what God is inviting you to today is to have that moment here. There's something powerful about being baptized today, about all of your sins being washed away. There's something powerful about saying, you know what? Man, I thought God was mad at me. I was scared of him. I need this picture of God. Or I've been cleansed at some point, but somehow Satan convinced me that that I really can't live for God. Oh, these guys across the pew can, but I can't. And I need the confidence that Jesus believes in me. And I need the church's prayers. You see, the song we're about to sing is so perfect for this moment because it's about the reckless love of Jesus. Guys, this love was so reckless that because Jesus kept loving on women like this and people like you and sinners like me, The Pharisees finally weren't putting up with it. They killed him. It was that reckless. And today, I invite you to follow a God who loves you that much. My friends, I got to ask you very straightforward. If you're not right with God, how in the world do you turn this down? It's for you. If you need it today, Just come drop your card in this basket or meet me on this front row right now while we stand and sing.